Hi everyone, welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today we're at episode seven of season five called You Jump, I Jump Jack. Yes. Another episode with the title um, being a little bit more easy for Jeffrey to remember. <laughs> also because Titanic is one of my all-time favorite movies, so another easy another easy way for me to remember. Is. <laughs> of course it is. What does that um, mean? <clears throat> Rude. Means you're a homosexual. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I'm, I'm white. That too. <laughs> well, that too. You're a white homosexual. <laughs> um, yeah. So this episode is very uh, Rory Logan centric. Yes. But there are a couple of other storylines that I also want to get into that I think are important. Um, one of them being, and the reason I bring it up first is because I kind of want to get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Lane and Zach. Okay. I knew you're going to have, I knew you're going to have stuff to say about that. I mean, I'm obviously going to have stuff to say, but is it in the grand scheme of things? Is this the most important thing that happens in this episode? Absolutely not. No. Um, but while I was watching the episode a couple nights ago and taking notes, I was like, is it really because the story is not good or is it because we just don't ship Lane and Zach that we're like, ugh, I don't care? Um, I think in this instance, it's probably more so we don't ship them and it's just we find Zach gross because I find in this I find in this episode, at least the like the dialogue between them and the scenes is kind of like it's kind of bearable. Like I, I don't hate it. I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like them together, but I don't mind them in this episode. Yeah, so it's kind of bearable, but it's also nothing spectacular, right? No, it's still filler. Like they use it as, as background padding. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think there's a reason they don't show us the entirety of the date, right? Because what would these two even talk about? Yeah. Um. So, Zach is lurking outside the diner, mm-hmm. and Lane goes to see him, and he's like, I'm ready now. Like, like okay. <laughs> do you want to maybe ask her out on a date instead of just saying, I'm ready now? <laughs> Considering he's like, she, she then has to be like, okay, well, well, I'm working right now, so. Yeah, like, also <laughs> get a clue. I think, like, honestly, oh, God, I hate to say it. Or do I? I don't know. Just but say it. <laughs> it. I don't think this is the best writing. Not no, I, not for not for Lane and not for the not for either of the characters. No, I think in general, like the writing is just so boring for these two characters. Well, yeah, because we already established that there was nothing left. It was just kind of like let's put like let's put Lane in a love the one you're with kind of scenario. Yeah, but I mean. It 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 sounds like they're not even into it. Like the writers aren't even into it. Mm-hmm. Like that's what comes across in the writing and in the dialogue. And so like I in watching it feel like, well, if you're not putting in the effort, I'm not putting in the effort. Yeah, I feel like at this at this stage in the in Lane's storyline, like they're like, okay, well. Kiko Ajana is on contract. She's in the main cast. She's in the main cast. She's in the, she's in the opening. Yeah, she should be. I mean, she should be in the main cast. Yes, but it's like we have to. We have to give her something. And I, I, I honestly don't even think they were maybe had given it 
that much thought at this point in time. Like maybe maybe Amy Sherman Palladino thought going forward where it might end up. But like in this instance, they were like, let's just try it and see. And that's why it comes across as boring, because they were kind of like throwing, you know, stuff at a wall and seeing what might stick. Oh, well, for me, it didn't stick. But anyways, um, you know, he's like, I'm ready to date. It has to be the most awkward ask out ever. <laughs> Considering she already went through the painful process of confessing her feelings for him. And he was like, uh, silence. Well, here's the thing. Not only did she go through the process of confessing her feelings, then she took it back. <laughs> then he berated her for taking it back because she's like, he's like, you should know me better. You know, I don't respond to things right away and blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. But at the same time, what do you want her to do? She's living in limbo. Also living with you under the same roof. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say. It's super awkward because when they actually get to the date and he, I'm using air quotes, picks her up for their date. <laughs> First of all, can I say how obnoxious I find it that none of them, uh, neither one of them planned anything? Again, I don't really think it was that deep. <laughs> no, I know. But, like, if it's the start of a relationship and, you know, we know where it's going. Mm-hmm. You know, what you guys do on your first date, mom and dad? Or we watched a movie on the couch and Brian fell asleep in mom's room. <laughs> like, really? No, they didn't really plan any, like... They didn't plan anything, and I think that was a testament to Zach not really knowing what the hell to do on a date. Like, on a date with someone he was actually interested in. Like, I think he's mostly just dated kind of, like, for lack of a better term, like, the bimbos we saw in previous episodes. And how, you know, how much depth did those relationships have in the grand scheme of things? So, I don't think, I think he's very, he's very unprepared when it comes to an actual physical date. Yeah, um, I get that, and I get that that's what they were trying to do as well. Like, this is a different relationship for both of them, I think. Um, you know, because, let's be honest, even Lane, even though she was dating Dave, mm. they never went on a date, right? So, no, I, I think, you know, I think that would have been down the line if What's-His-Face hadn't left, so. It's hard I mean, to you could argue that their first date was at prom. Mm, yeah but yes, I, yes to actually no. go out and have a date and go to a movie or dinner or whatever it is the kids do these days or those <laughs> days i should say those days you know i don't so for for lane it's also her first date and i wanted more for her yeah like your first date should be special i think that this is really the start of the trajectory of lane's character development where it just goes sharply downward yeah, everything goes to shit. Because, like, as you're saying, like, all of these things, more or less, that she didn't have with Dave, like, didn't have the chance to have with Dave because um, the actor left the show, it, it's, like, it, it should have set the stage for a different, like, another relationship for Lane later on. And, like, sh- we did get that in the form of Zach, and it wasn't, you know, I, I don't think it was what fans re- really wanted for the character long term, so... Yeah, I think, like you said, the writers, I don't think their heart was in it in this instance. And it's a shame because when you think about it like that, you want more. You want more for Lane's characters, as we always do. Yeah. And I have to wonder if it was also just a money thing. You know, like putting some another actor under contract because they clearly love the dynamic between the band. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so they would have wanted to keep them on anyhow. Um, but I have to wonder if they were toying with the idea of bringing on a new love interest for her, especially with, you know, the addition of the Yale crowd. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I- I'm thinking of it on the business end of things of like, how much budget do you really have to work with to bring in all these actors, you know? Yeah. Like maybe they used, they used the budget more for bringing like Logan on as a new love interest for Rory rather than a new love interest for the side character. That is yeah, like, I mean, which would make sense because Rory's, you know, a Gilmore girl, uh, yeah. hence the name of the show. But I also just think it's a little bit unfair, um, you know, to have us rooting for a character, rightfully so, all these years, and then kind of push her her story to the side. Yeah, and I think that's what bothers me so much when I watch season three and I see how much effort they put into lane and dave storyline only for them to like you know let the actor slip away in my in my opinion um and then just after that like like we got we got a lot of lane storylines in season four as well that you know like her leaving home and her kind of fallout with her mother and everything like that was definitely worthwhile and worth showing us but i find like since you know since she and her mother kind of made up for lack of a better you know term like they kind of found a common ground again after that you know what's the like that repartee was kind of more or less gone and there wasn't a whole lot left to tell with her character besides another romance they were like okay well what budget like you said like what budget do we have we don't really you know we don't want to bring in a whole new character for lane when lane's just stuck in stars hollow and just it i think it all went to shit from there <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it sucks because even if she was stuck in Stars Hollow and even if they didn't want to do much, um, you know, regardless of love interest, you know, they didn't even do anything else with the band, really. Right. Um, no, I mean, they kind of they kind of go somewhere in season six and that doesn't. No, end. I know. But at this point, we're just like they're still like doing band rehearsal and like playing random gigs and gills coming from sandwich making like you know it's not really going anywhere that either Mm -hmm. so you know i would have been totally fine with let's not give lane a love interest or love storyline if she can be doing something else you know like what's stopping them from you know having her enroll in like music classes or like I don't know, work at the store and teach kids. Like, you know what I mean? Just do something. Yeah, I think it was lazy of them in a way to not put much thought into it beyond like, oh, let's give her a new love interest and write it that well, way. Well, and then that's and that's where I think my personally my disdain comes from because mm-hmm. it's like, so fine, you're gonna give her a love interest because you can't be bothered to give her an actual interesting story. Yeah. Um, but then you're not even putting that much effort into the love interest either, right? Yeah. So I'm just like, it's all around disappointment for me. It's not just like that Zach's a tool. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. if they had, if they, you know, if they'd given her and Zach a relationship on top of her doing something else, it would have been less of a blow to our psyches to have to comprehend, like, okay, so she, you know, falls for the guy in her band who's pretty much an annoying loser 
you know, let's yeah. call it, let's call a spade a spade. And then, you know, spoiler alert, but, you know, then ends up marrying him and getting pregnant after having sex one time. And it's like, um, there's a lot more to life you could have shown Lane <laughs> than just that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think if they had made, I think if they had put a little bit more effort into just her life in general, mm-hmm. you know, like the trials and tribulations of her life. Yeah. I would have been more okay with her falling for Zach because mm-hmm. at least then she has something else, right? Um, yeah. Like, just, all right, every girl has to date a loser or two, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I still got my life. And in this case, they made her entire life about Zach. Pretty and much. just like same old, same old, working at the diner, playing the drums once a week in my apartment that I share with everybody. You know, it's like nothing else. And even her banter with her mom kind of, decreases over the course of like we get we get we get a few glimpses of it but compared to like the earlier seasons obviously when she lived at home and I think that's the point too is that she's out from under her mom's thumb but I think a lot of the appeal surrounding Lane's character in like seasons one to three was her strict ridiculously conservative mother right and then when you take that out of the equation it's like oh well what else does Lane have like Lane has a bunch of stuff that's just the writers didn't sit down and focus on it enough yeah, I, I mean, I think that part of it is a little bit more realistic because we often forget because we've gone through season four and we've watched the show so many times. We often forget that Lane Lane used to hide her personality a lot. Yeah. Um, To the point where sometimes I think she didn't even know who she was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's not forget she's still 21 at this point, not even 20, 21 in season yeah. five. So, like, she's also still discovering herself, right? Yeah. And I think that's also what's really insulting to a lot of us who are rooting for Lane is, like, you know, you you did the right thing. You you made a the you took the right step forward and, you know, coming clean to your mother and telling her this is who I am and this is who I want to be. And then you're also still figuring things out. And then it's like your life just stopped. Yeah. And that's really hard for, I think, a lot of young adults. Um to swallow where you're like really my life just gonna stop and like obviously as you said you know rory is one half of the gilmore girls in the title so it's gonna be like lane is a side character supporting a supporting role but at the same time i find as gilmore girls has taken on a whole new second life thanks to netflix and the streaming age a lot of you know a lot of other demographics and um like ethnicities have been intro- have been have been able to have the chance to get introduced to Gilmore Girls through Netflix, and when in, uh, in, I think a lot of people more so in, like in this day and age than when the show first aired are going to be rooting for the you know the character of color the the, um, the 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 one real ethnic character on the show who is pretty much Lane like you're they're they're going to want to root for her over the white girls more so now than then and to watch it through a 2022 lens and see what happens to Lane's character is just really, really disheartening, as as you said, like, and disappointing to young adults watching it, especially, like, young adults of color who are like, oh, cool, like, I've never actually, like, to think a Korean girl was on a WB show, or even, you know, even Korean girls watching the show at the time when it aired in the 2000s, like, it must have been just super disappointing for them, I think. Yeah, I mean... 
And don't forget, like, the world's changing also. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we talk about stories from multicultural backgrounds and characters, um, you know, the, the world is not as white as people think it is. Yeah. Um, it's important that everyone kind of sees themselves in these things. And I think you're right. I think um, with the revival of the show with Netflix, you know, all kinds of different people are now watching um, these shows that traditionally had a white audience. Yeah. So, you know, you were rooting for the white girls because they were the protagonists, but also because, you know, white girls watch the WB. Yeah. Um, you know, the family friendly network. Just a thought. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. The more we talk about Lane, the more disappointed I am. I do have to say, as a se- as the season continues, sorry, I think um, we get some of that spunky Lane back. Um, yeah, there's glimpses. With it, like, there's glimpses of her, and a lot of it continues throughout the remainder of the show. It's just more so. There's also glimpses of her just being boring and let down by the writing team. Yeah, and so it's it's a little it's a little tough when Lane seems scenes come on now because i'm like well clearly the writers didn't care like why do i care but i want to care i love lane and that's the thing too like you like you just said like you want to care and i and i want to believe that the writers still cared about lane at this point so it's like where's the disconnect because as you know we pick up on it really easily when we analyze so it's like why would you have let down your audience like started to let down your audience so early on in a season like that (laughs) we don't have the answers we don't have the answers we're just speculating at this point anyways that's all i wanted to say for Lane and zach um you know their relationship will i don't know bad word but flourish (laughs) as time goes on and we're probably gonna have a lot more to say um but i don't know plan your dates i guess yeah i don't even think flourish is the right word more like grow develop i guess flourish is kind of a synonym for those words but flourish has like a no but i get it like (laughs) flourish like implies that it's going well yeah Um, there are still bumps in the road ahead (laughs) number one there's still bumps in the road ahead a road ahead and number two is i don't want it to go well um but it will and i'm sad (laughs) anyway so second storyline revolves around lorelei and luke um and the elder Gilmores who want mm. to re-meet Luke. Uh-huh. And I find the way that Emily finds out that Luke and Lorelai are dating hilarious. <laughs> Kirk told me. Kirk told me. And she's like, what the fuck? How did Kirk tell you? It's like, Kirk? Like, stars follow Kirk? Kirk hasn't started shaving yet, Kirk? Yeah. Also, just hearing Emily Gilmore say Kirk. Yeah. I think is really funny. <laughs> um... But, you know, I think Lorelai says something really, really f- important in this episode. And, you know, Emily's talking to her about how, why is she so shocked? Why is she keeping things from her? And she's like, no, no, I'm not. I'm not keeping things from you. I was just shocked that, like, my two worlds are kind of colliding or whatever she said, you know? Yeah. And that's so true. <laughs> like, Lorelai had spent her entire adult life trying to keep her two worlds separate, right? Mm-hmm. Um And none of, like, that has never been more evident than in this episode, I find. Um, Yeah, because, like, 
I'm sorry, but Emily and Richard do not fit in the Stars Hollow world. It's not like they make appearances. They, you know, try as they might, but it's like it's just they're they're clearly from another world. They're not from Stars Hollow. Yeah, no, I think that's abundantly clear from the get go. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think it's really. Up until now, we, we've seen them interact with the Stars Hollow folk every mm-hmm. once in a while, but never for, um, and I mean, even in this case, it's just Luke, right? So previously we saw them, you know, at the birth, at Rory's birthday party in season one, where they, it was kind of their first foray into Stars Hollow and they're meeting everyone. And then, you know, we see them again with um, the Bracebridge dinner. And they're having a gale time with everyone. You know, they're having fun, telling stories, and everything is great. I blame the alcohol. (laughs) But I think even Emily and Richard can tell you that, like, Stars Hollow folk are not their folk, right? Yeah, Um, they can can try to be polite, and they'll make the appearance because that's who they are. But it's not the kind of people they would phone up and ask to go to dinner. (laughs) No. Um... You know, which, by the way, I think Richard and Taylor would have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I think that that's it. Yeah, I could see that. I think they have similar political leanings, if I can say that. Well, yeah, that would imply that they both voted for Trump. So, no, I mean, I just meant staunch Republicans. But anyway, (laughs) staunch Republicans. Well, thankfully, Richard died before uh, uh, Trump was president. So that's a whole other topic. Um. (laughs) But yeah, I find it interesting that she says that so early on. She's like, my star's hollow life and my Hartford life. And by the way, I think she floats really seamlessly between the two. Yeah, more so than I think she gives herself credit for. Yeah, I think so. The thing that's always struck me about Lorelai is she tries really hard to say like, well, this is this is my parents world, you know, like I don't fit into this world. Um, I live like she's always going out of her way to say like, I live in Star's Hollow. I'm a small town gal. But like, no, honey, like. You know, um, <laughs> you grew up in that giant house, right? Yeah, and she, you know, she tries to like she's not proud of it because she didn't fit there. But at the end of the day, it's you know you can't. No, but I mean, I think look, of course she's not proud of it because yes, like you said, she didn't fit in and she didn't agree with everything her parents did. But you know, when people walk up to her parents' house, they're like, oh my god, this is huge. She doesn't bat an eye. You know, yeah. when when they're going to like cotillions or coming out parties or her mother's throwing these insane parties with the candlesticks six inches apart. You know, she's she knows the shtick, you know. Yeah. She as much as she's trying to get away from it. She's very much part of that world or at least knows enough about that world to pass, shall we say, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. You know, I just I see how she interacts with the maids. She knows the rules of like not rules per se, but like unwritten rules, you know, like how Luke shakes her hand and is like, I'm Luke, and she's like, I'm the maid. Like <laughs> Lorelai would never, right? Because she knows her mother would be like, What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, this person's insignificant. We don't talk to this person. Um She's very comfortable in her parents' world. And by comfortable I mean she fits in she knows how to switch her roles, shall we say. Yeah, like she know, having grown up in that world to a, until she was sixteen, like she and was obviously you know whipped whipped into order into place by her mother mm-hmm. until until such time. 
I think it's just kind of ingrained in you. Like when you grow up, when you grow up that way, it's just to go back to that world. Like, okay, it's muscle memory. You find your, like you, you, you know, the drill because you've done it so many times. Doesn't mean you agree with it or like it, but you, yeah. your body, your body remembers. <laughs> yeah. Your body goes through the motions. Your, your brain remembers. Yeah. Cause that's trauma mama. But <laughs> um, yeah, I just find it really interesting. The other thing that I think is, uh, I don't know, I get mixed signals in this episode, but, you know, the dinner where Luke and Lorelai go to Emily's, I think, started well enough. Okay, go on. (laughs) I think, so I know that Emily's a bitch. Yes. And I understand what Lorelai means when she says, like, oh, she's so passive aggressive. When she says rustic, she means shit pile and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I get Doggy. it. Doggy poopy. <laughs> Doggy poopy, whatever she said, right? Um, but, you know, when the dinner first starts, I remember thinking, like, oh, Emily's actually making an effort. Like, oh, hi, Luke. How's your diner? Everything good? And then she kicks in with that. So you're recently divorced? Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Terrible the divorce rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, she says it as if she's not separated from her husband. Literally. <laughs> and for all we know, heading for divorce herself. You know what that's I mean? Not pub- that's not public knowledge, though. The hypocrisy oh, is real. Shut it. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's just so funny. Like, anyways. So up until that point where she brings up the divorce, I'm like, okay, you know, she's being snarky, but she can't help it. But she's making an effort. And then she asks that question. I'm like, nope, I fell for Emily Gilmore's shtick. Yeah, and I have a lot of problems with this whole dinner, especially just in terms of the way that both Emily and Richard in this episode just seek to more or less humiliate and then intimidate Luke out of Lorelai's life as if, like, yeah, it's and it's, undermine it's, it's, their daughter, basically. Yeah, and it's but it's ironic to me that there's such a reference in the beginning of the episode to Lorelai's two different worlds. And Emily acknowledging, like, you keep your you, you keep your, your other world so separate from me. It's like, I'm sorry, Emily, do you think, like, Lorelai still exists full time in your world? Because, like, that would imply then when you're trying to intimidate a, a guy out of her life, it's as if you still have such power. And it's like, you don't. And that's kind of, that's what, I think that's what bothers me the most is that both Emily and Richard separately and together in this case, they think... They think they can still step in and have that kind of control over their daughter. And it's like, this is exactly what drove her away in the first place, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I completely get it. And I and I had this moment of thinking, like, no wonder she keeps her world so separate from you, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we Lorelai likes to make a lot of jokes about how her mother, you know, and her father, she, she famously made this joke in season two about um, Emily and Richard being, like, Adolf Hitler and Ava Brown. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's harsh. But then there's moments like this where I'm like, no. <laughs> it's very accurate. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it, it's so. Like, forget, like, setting aside what it means to talk that way and to to treat Luke that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Just from, like, Lorelai's perspective. Yeah. You're in a relationship, you're happy. Do you think she, like, I think in a normal world, she would want to be able to introduce 
the man she's seeing to her parents. But she knows her parents cannot be trusted. Yeah, and honestly, I didn't even think of this enough before before right now to write that in my in my notes. But as we were talking, it just kind of came to me in terms of when you said at at first it looks like Emily is you know putting on a show and being nice and polite and until the whole so you're so you're divorced and like and then it goes downhill. Even though even though Laura could just tell from her tone like how's that diner of yours like yeah you know, she knew she knew but. I just like just now thinking about it, like it's it would be interesting to compare like Emily's passive aggressive, disrespectful between the lines attitude towards Luke at this dinner to like when in season three, when she insists that Rory bring Jess to dinner and she I'm not going to, you know, obviously that was a show, too. That was a facade that she put on for the sake of her granddaughter. But like her and obviously her intentions in the two different cases were very different. But, you know what like this just proves to me that you you think you have this you that you think you still have this control over your daughter's life that you can humiliate and intimidate someone out of Lorelai's grasp and like what you were willing so you were willing to put in the effort to like Jess who arrived at your house with a black eye and for the sake of your granddaughter but you're not willing to support the relationship that might lead to marriage with the diner owner for your daughter, like there's a dis- there's a disconnect there that makes my head spin. I mean, I think the disconnect is those are two separate relationships. Yeah, like, obviously. No, but I mean, I think so. I think in terms of what Emily's thinking of where Lorelai is in her life right now, you know, at this point she's 37. You mm-hmm. know, she's dating Luke, and we all remember that. Emily was the one to point out to Lorelai that she and Luke were crushing on each other, you know? So, like, Emily Emily has known this for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that, you know, she's now dating him is, like, well, clearly it's serious because they've known each other so long. You know, I picked it off right away, way back when. So I think she knows it's serious. Whereas with Rory and Jess, you can argue that, yeah, she didn't like that, obviously. She called him a hooligan or whatever the fuck she called him. (laughs) But, you know, you can always chalk that up to being a teenager and wanting to be a teenager and be rebellious, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to say I, I, I agree with the way Emily treated either of them, but it's two very distinct things, especially in her mind, right? Either way, she's a hypocrite. <laughs> no, I mean, we knew that already. <laughs> There's no argument from me there. But it is it, it is a different dynamic, too, right? I think she has no problem stepping into her daughter's life because she's been doing it so well all these years. But with Rory, it's much harder. We've seen over the years that it's much harder for her parents, her grandparents, excuse me, to disappoint her. Yeah. Um, you know, they can't bear disappointing her. Mm-hmm. So I think, and you know, grandparents in general will do anything for their grandkids usually. Yes. Um, there's a, it's a very different dynamic between grandparent and child and child and parent and parent and grandchild. True. So, you know, they're, they're three very distinct relationships mm-hmm. um, that don't always make a lot of sense. I mean, it just, it is what it is. But I think Emily has no problem doing it to Lorelai, like you said, because she's been doing it all her life and she feels entitled to it. Yeah. Honk at Emily Gilmore. Use your mind as her personal playground. 
Honk, honk. <laughs> but yeah, um, I did feel bad for Luke. Um, I felt worse for him at the golf course. Okay, but like, that's I have a problem with Luke. Maybe not a problem. Scratch that. At the risk of jumping ahead, it's interesting to me, like in the ways in which Luke's relationship with the Gilmores sours completely. And it just a few episodes to come. It's weird to me to, to see how like willing and open he is to go to Emily's house for dinner. It's like, well, he has to meet the parents sometime. Like, let's get it over with. Like, you know, he's willing to be the gentleman that he is. And it's just to me, it's like, oh, Luke, that's so cute. You think they're not going to crush you like a bug? Yeah, but that goes back to what I was saying a couple of episodes ago, where I think, you know, obviously very naive of him. Um, yes. He's met them before, like you should know better. <laughs> but I think that goes back to what we were saying a couple of episodes ago of how seriously Luke takes his relationship. Like, versus Lorelai, who, not that she doesn't take it seriously, but, you know, has been dating consistently for the entirety of the show and, you know, isn't as open with her parents. So that sometimes interferes with how her her relationships progress right yeah um for luke he's very much like no this is a serious relationship and serious relationships you meet the parents and that's what we're gonna do because this is a serious relationship um and and, you know i i think i think even for luke it's difficult like you know lorelei was telling emily and richard you've already met him and you know luke's already met him too but it's different as their daughter's boyfriend, you know. She has to re-meet him. Yeah, she has to re-meet them. And I think he wants to re-meet them officially as the man who's dating their daughter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, listen, as much as Luke said at the beginning of the dinner, like, I've dealt with all kinds of people. I've dealt with snobs. I've dealt with, like, snooty people. It, it can't be easy for him to sit with, the parents of the woman he loves and know like deep down that they don't like you Mm -hmm. and think that you're not good enough for their daughter (laughs) yeah Um, and that's like before we get it before we get into his his golf his golf date with richard like what gets me about the like the dinner table scene with emily luke and lorelei like i know that luke said earlier on like you know lorelei jumping in and trying to you know, pounce on Emily's every word makes Luke look weak. I'm like, okay, that's on you. And she's like, he asks, like, okay, well, give me some space. She's like, okay, I'll give you space. But I think there's a difference between giving him space and also just like letting your mother just like rip him to shreds through her, you know, Emily Gilmore vernacular that she's a- that she's able to do so seamlessly with not ever actually insulting him through disrespectful words. And it's yeah. Like, it's just, like, the way that Lorelai looks over to him while she's rattling on about, you know, roadkill and diners or whatever. And <laughs> just, like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, look, like, I you know, I tried to warn you or, like, whatever that facial expression was trying to say. It's like, well, why didn't Lorelai be like, excuse, Kate, mom, stop. Like, you're, you're, like, you're sitting here insulting him. And she'd be like, well, I'm not insulting him. Like, yes, you are. Like, I'm just, it, it's weird to me that Lorelai didn't step in at any point during the dinner. Because I feel like they both know it wasn't going to do any good. 
I know, but I'm just saying, like, if I if I brought someone to meet my mother who was Emily Gilmore, and I know how Emily Gilmore is, and it's like, this is my boyfriend who I'm really serious about, and I care about him, and I don't want you to, like, just demoralize him in, right in front of me all evening long. Like, I think that would instill a rage in me to, to say something, but I guess maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I think I would also have your same reaction and just feel the need to stick up for the person. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think I think two things are happening. I think one, Lorelai is very much trying to respect Luke's wishes. Yeah. Um. You know, as dumb as they may be. Mm-hmm. And number two, I think she just knows it's not going to lead anywhere um, productive anyway. And we, you know, we forget that she's been getting this her whole life. Yeah. And that. I don't know. She's also not the best communicator. Don't forget. Right. No, and it's probably easier for her to sit there and, like, just let it pass. Because, like you said, she's been doing dealing with this Emily Gilmore bullshit her whole life. Yeah. Than it, than it would. But I I don't know. For, I think it was obviously for the purpose of this scene where it's just, like, Luke goes into the lion's den. And, well, I tried to warn him. And here we are. I yeah, know. no, I get it. It would piss me off, too. Like, I wouldn't be able to stay silent. Yeah, no, and I'm not especially like with your family. I'm sure you've had experience with that. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, but I can tell you from experience that sometimes it's better to stay silent. Yeah. Um, just for your own well-being. Um, I will say that it's a very special skill to be able to do what Emily does. <laughs> it is. Um, not anyone, not anyone could pull that off. Like. No, honestly, I think the only other person, only other character, I mean, I'm not even going to go, I'm not even go so far as, like, real life people that I know, like, only other fictional character that comes to mind who could maybe rival um, Emily Gilmore in terms of, like, disrespecting someone while maintaining su- such a polite demeanor would be, like, Brie Vandekamp. But even then, probably not. <laughs> like, this is on a whole other level. Yeah. Again, probably not yours. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god. Maybe like, so- right. like a soap opera vixen or something. <laughs> I know, but Luke's right. She never actually said anything negative towards him. It but was she kind of did though. I don't know. That's just me. Like not openly negative, but it was like you're talking about how some diners serve roadkill. It's like, hey, I own a diner. Like that's insulting to me. Like, yeah, ugh. but she just has a way about her. I know, I want to punch her. <laughs> I know, I know. Anyways, um, moving on to the actual golf date, which I thought was worse. Do you agree? Worse in terms of, worse for Luke, yeah. Yeah, Um, because I think it's one thing to sit there at the dinner table and, like, Emily's ranting and raving and whatever. You can smile politely and we'll eat your freaking dinner and then you get to go home. This was all about, like, you're not running your business properly. You're not running your business properly. You clearly don't know how to golf. So I'm going to just like stand here and humiliate you. Like you invite him to play golf when like without even considering like, does he play golf? Is he good at golf? Like they could have done anything, but no, it's Richard's world. We play golf. Well, I think this is another really good example of the disconnect. Yeah. Um, in my mind, Richard and Emily don't realize that there are like poor people out there. Because golf is a very expensive sport. It is. Um, it's a very bougie upper class sport, and not everyone plays golf. So it doesn't even. 
so I think two things are happening. Number one, it probably doesn't even cross Richard's mind that somebody couldn't play golf. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and number two, I think when it does eventually cross his mind, he's like, good, we're going to be on my turf. Yeah, exactly. And he's going to know exactly how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely worse in terms of, like, Richard's body language was just so insulting and, like, you know, better at your ball, son. Like, hey, fuck off. Like, ugh, give me a minute. <laughs> Yeah, like, we're going to shave him. He, This guy's going to do his banking. This guy's going to do his rare coin collection. Oh, you don't have art? Let me introduce you to my art guy. Like, oh. bitch, in this economy, no one's buying art. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? The whole thing was just terrible. And the fact that he had to chug so much alcohol to deal with him, I mean. Unsurprising. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, I mean, how else would you get through that? But it was, um, I definitely think the... <laughs> the dinner was the better of the two options. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. What do you want me to say? They're both pretty terrible. Yeah, and it's just you feel like you feel bad for Luke in the moment, and it's also just you all just want to shout at both Richard and Emily and like kind of put them in their place because, like I said, neither Luke nor Lorelai aren't necessarily in a position to do that in this episode. But like for the viewer, it's just super aggravating. It's like, um. You know, maybe he doesn't play golf. Like, maybe he doesn't want to play golf with you. Like, get off my ass. Yeah. No, I get it completely. Um, But I think the conversation that Emily and Richard have later on, just the two of them, is so much more telling than anything else that we saw during the dinner and the golf game. Yeah, because it was clearly all a facade. It was all, like, that to me confirms that Emily was doing, well, both of them, but, you know, more so Emily was doing that whole shtick on purpose to humiliate to humiliate him and then richard basically confirms like well i'm trying to mold him into a gentleman that our society would approve of and it's like emily doesn't want to be in your society what like what's not clicking what's not clicking yeah i mean god as a viewer it's one thing to sit there and watch that dinner and that golf and be like okay they're clearly trying to embarrass him but then it's another for them to like explicitly say what they were doing all along yeah um and you know and the whole we're doing this for Lorelai like for her best interest like we want somebody who's going to be able to support her Richard says you know we want somebody who is going to be good enough for her like it's so delusional that in their minds they've convinced (laughs) themselves that they're still doing this for Lorelai Considering, like, at this point in the show, Lorelai is a successful business owner, as is Luke, but, like, yeah. Lorelai has achieved so much on her own without needing a husband and blah, 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 and all of, like, all of what their conservative values would dictate, and it's, like, just, what's not clicking? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I It's so frustrating. Like, they've had to contort themselves into pretzels to justify... The only way I can describe it is a scheme. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, you've, you've deluded yourselves into thinking that you're still doing this because you want what's best for your daughter. Never mind the fact that your daughter has over and over again told you that she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And you, sh- she's 37. Don't interfere. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not just a, like, I really don't think he's good enough for you. Okay, mom, I got it. Thanks, but no thanks. And let's end it there. This is you're actively meddling. <laughs> like. Yeah, and I think and it gets a, worse as we know. As definitely gets worse. Um, I think it's just this this whole these these antics and this scheming just marks 
somewhat of a turn, like maybe not necessarily in this episode precisely, but like the beginning of these meddling antics kind of marks a turning point in the show where it really like it really is given to the viewer like right in front of their face that like this is how Emily and Richard are like so this is their true nature yeah. and I think I don't know for me I think the amount like the very like the first few times that I watched the show you kind it was the writing was really convincing to me in that like Emma, like Lorelai always said like you know I have a very different relationship with my parents than Rory does and just you know always made clear like my life with them is not your life with them like what you're seeing now like even like almost she's speaking to Roy but she's almost like speaking to the viewer saying like what you see the Richard and Emily you see before you now is not the Richard and Emily that I grew up with and I find like every single time I start I start the show over from the beginning it's like it's really evident to me the ways in which like you know even like even like even in my own family like there's like there's you know relatives who I know for a fact like they're they're nice people now but they weren't nice people like 30 years ago you know so it's like to to see to see Lorelai hammer that point over and over like this like I have a very different relationship with my parents than you do it's like she's also talking to the viewer she's saying like you know the Richard and Emily that you met when I needed to you know get money to put Roy through Chilton but there's a whole Richard and Emily behind that facade that you don't even know yet and I find in season five we kind of start to get to know that you know those Richard and Emily a bit better if that makes sense (laughs) yeah no and I think what you said about the beginnings of um kind of like their interference in her life as far as we know Mm -hmm. uh, it was one thing to you know take Lorelai out to the diner to lunch and be like, Christopher's not happy. Um, it's another to get as involved as we know that she's going to get. Yeah. Um, and I think I like what you said about how the writing was really smart, because I do think these episodes leading up to the vow renewal and the big blow up. Um, I think the writing is really smart and, you know, just showing us how, even though it's not what's best for Lorelai, mm-hmm. R- Emily still knows her daughter really, really well. Because Emily wouldn't be going through all this trouble if she didn't know 100% that her daughter was madly in love with this man and was going to have a future with him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So she never would have interfered before in another relationship because I think she knows Lorelai that well that she's like, oh, this is never going to last, right? Yeah. Um. I feel I think the reason she's in her mind pushed to do what she does is because she knows that Lorelai is so serious about this relationship. Not saying it's right, but I'm saying in my head, I know, like from Emily's perspective, she's like, I know my daughter. I know she's going to want a future with this man and we have to stop it right now. Yeah, Um, because there's been other other times where she like you said, like when she took Lorelai to lunch and was like, Christopher's not happy. It's like that's just speculation and like you should do something not like i'm actively yeah. going to scheme my way into your love life that, that yeah does. like not like i'm gonna take matters into my own hands now yeah <laughs> yeah so as terrible as it is i think she knows exactly what she's doing and as much as laura likes to say that her mother doesn't know her at all and she does have a whole separate life your mother knows you mm. it's not always worked in your benefit but your mother knows you sadly <laughs> Sadly, as we'll see. But yeah, this um, this episode is just it's it's hard to watch from Luke's point of view or from um, 
you know, not an upper middle class point of view. Yeah, and I don't know. I just, even as you say, like, you feel bad for Luke. Part of me is just like, well, it could have been prevented. Like, Lorelai could have been like, fuck off, leave him alone. It's just, I know that they're just going through the motions, and it's obviously not real. It's a show. Like, calm down. <laughs> but, like, to me, I just, like, I would have jumped in and been like, no, stop it. And mm, they didn't. It's just annoying to me. I know. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Get Should it. we uh, talk a bit about the um, title of the episode? You know, the uh, the supposedly Logan and Rory centric episode that we haven't even talked I about. I mean, yet. it is a Logan and Rory centric episode. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, okay, but I have a question again. Another question that I've probably already asked before. Why do I have mm-hmm. to care about the Life and Death Brigade? Please tell me why. Why do I have to care about this? Well, relax. It's the last time. I know, but it's just. I and I get the whole point of it. Like by the end. By the end of this episode. Where, um, you know, whoever leaves on Rory's doorstep the mask and the champagne and the, the digital camera with the photos. I think it's just the whole point of the experience was to, you know, build a life, ex- build, like start building actual life experiences for Rory that she hadn't had yet. Right. So. But just I don't know, just, just in terms of the whole as, like the whole escapade that is the life and death brigade i'm like okay weird but okay <laughs> yeah so i think i made myself abundantly clear last episode that i do not understand this whole secret society world right um i've looked into it more and we will be talking about it in the newsletter this week's newsletter um very briefly because this week's newsletter um in the Gilmore Girls section is focused on this episode as well, but I don't get it. I don't <laughs> think I meant to. Um, and by that, I mean, I don't think it's anything deep in that it's, it's literally, like we said, a bunch of rich white kids um, doing things because they can. Yeah. Like acting like daredevils and not caring what the consequences regard, like, bodily harm being the number one consequence it's like doesn't matter because they have money they have the money and the resources to you know figure it out later well that's exactly what it is it's money and resources and now in the social media age how many times have you come across something where you're like fucking rich people (laughs) because it's only something rich white people would do you know yeah are we talking about nepo babies now (laughs) Well, that's a whole other story. But I mean, you know, like, there's this guy on TikTok that I follow that he's like, he basically, not reviews, but he he looks at people's fancy rich lives and comments on them <laughs> from the point of view of, like, a poor person. Okay. <laughs> so one in particular that I'm thinking of is like, oh, we're making all our different types of ice because I have a third freezer drawer that can hold all this ice. Oh, Lord. She's making like flavored ice and shit. It's like Deborah, <laughs> real people have real shit to worry about. Kim, there are people that are dying. <laughs> Basically, you know. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's fun to make fun of these people. Um, you know, it's hilarious. The guy's hilarious, and I think I, I like to watch them because I'm like, you're so out of touch with reality. <laughs> like you're posting this all kinds of videos about you just doing shit that normal everyday people 
do not have time to worry about. <laughs> Especially since you've been, like, you've been to my house, you've been to my kitchen, you've sat in my kitchen, you know that I have, like, the kitchen, like, the fridge that's in our kitchen is, like, from 1994. Like, it, like, it is not a modern fridge by any stretch of the imagination. Like, we make ice in ice cube trays that we then break into a bowl that sits in the freezer. Like, we don't, we don't even have, like, a silver fridge with, a, with a, an electronic ice maker. Like, so to me, when you're telling me that you have three drawers worth of flavored ice, cannot relate. <laughs> yeah, well, that was just one of them, but he does a bunch of them. Um, like a girl stocking her guest bathroom and she's bought like all kinds of makeup products. And he's like, who the fuck are you buying this for? Like, <laughs> anyways, so it's just, to me, the secret society is that on a cult level. Yeah, Exactly. Does that make sense? It's like a bunch of rich kids. Ki- kids. <laughs> it's like a bunch of rich people. I, I got mixed up with people and kids. <laughs> they're really kids. They really are kids. It's a bunch of rich kids getting together and pouring money into an event and not speaking with ease because they can. Because they don't have to worry about finals because they paid to get into the school. <laughs> like, you know? Um, yeah. Even then, the whole thing of like not speaking with ease, it's like you have the time of day to like like, who who? (laughs) that's like you had to prepare for that right yeah you had to like i could just imagine them weeks beforehand writing down all the words they can think of that don't have any ease yeah and memorizing them (laughs) i mean it's you have to give it to them it's a great dedication to doing absolutely nothing but um yeah i have yet to find any use i guess is the word for these secret societies but they do exist still to this day yeah um, yeah well not even but um let's talk about the do you want to talk about the event do you want to talk about the, the rory logan dynamic do you want to talk about the side characters that we're being introduced to i'm giving you free reign <laughs> um i think we can let, let's do the Rory and Logan dynamic because I think that's pretty much the highlight of this whole debacle. Okay. Um, would you agree that this is the episode where it is made abundantly clear that they're going to boink? <laughs> Excuse me, I believe the term for, on the podcast is bounce on the bed. <laughs> I never approve that term. <laughs> Um, yes, 100%. Like, if it wasn't already clear in any previous episode that Logan was a love interest, it's 100% clear now. And I do think, listen, I think this episode for them, they have great chemistry. Yes. I think the banter is on. (laughs) I think they're both witty enough that they can keep up with each other. Mm -hmm. I think, um we finally get to see like he's not just some rich idiot like he actually knows his stuff especially when he's talking about all the journalists at the end of the episode mm-hmm. um that like participated you know i think i'm so fucking bored of dean that i'm finally just a little bit stimulated and i can imagine that she's feeling the same way yeah um I honestly forgot that Dean existed in this episode. Well, you know, at the beginning of the episode where she walks into her dorm and she's playing on the answering machine his message and he's like, I have a three hour window if you want. It's like, this is not the stuff of relationships. Is it, I'm sorry, is that the 2004 equivalent of a you up text? 
basically. Because <laughs> he wants to drive halfway between Yale and Stars Hollow and catch dinner in his three-hour window. And listen, not to say that a lot of people don't do long distance, but it's clearly not sustainable for them. Like, no, they're, no, they're very and- much in two different places. He said it himself. He has three jobs. He has to work these crazy hours. She's busy with school. Like, your your priorities are not matching up here. No, and especially since we know the nature of their, re- like, reconciliation is not sustainable either, so. Well, look, even forgetting the fact that, like, they got together under dubious circumstances, and mm-hmm. we know when we've discussed that Rory's heart is really not in it. Right. I think even if it was not Dean, let's say it was a neutral, somebody I felt neutral about. <laughs> it's just, I think it happens when people grow up and are in school and at different points in their points in their lives that your priorities don't match up anymore. And sometimes, you know, Rory's priority is school. It is the paper. It is, you know, you know, she starts having questions about if she's too safe in her life. Whereas Dean's priority right now is like, I got to make enough money to get out of my parents' house to get divorced because I fucked up, you know? <laughs> and that's just not aligning. It's not aligning, guys. I'm sorry. It's not working. No, it's not. <laughs> so, you know, I think the fact that she's, you know, I think this is the first episode maybe where we start to feel her pulling away as well. Because even though she calls him in the tent and she's like, oh, it's an overnight thing and I have to stay, whatever. She doesn't sound interested in him at all. No, it was a courtesy call. It was, yes, exactly. Because she literally says, hey, sorry, I can't get dinner tonight. It's night already. Yeah, like, you're already there. (laughs) You're already there, honey. Like, it's over. I think she was thinking, like, okay, I'm going to go. Let's see what happens. Like, not giving a shit about whether or not she's going to see Dean or not. And then gets there. It's like, oh, I better be polite and just call. (laughs) But I think I think her calling, like, we got everything we needed to know from that call. He's second. School and the paper and this adventure is first. And he's second. And from what we've seen of Dean in the past, that doesn't really fly with him. You know, I'd argue that Dean is fourth. I think it goes school, paper, ooh, Logan, he's cute, Dean. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, whatever. regardless, he's an afterthought at this point. Yeah, for sure. And rightfully so, by the way. Yeah, and, you know, I think I should clarify that I, you know, I, I go through moments of disliking Logan, and I think season five Logan is probably my least favorite, um, but... Make no mistake, obviously, obviously, I, I am Team Jess in general, but I there are mo- there are definite moments, in, and especially more so in season six and seven, where like I am very much kind of Team Logan in many ways. So um, don't don't mistake any of my negative comments towards Logan in season five as like me hating him altogether. I find he's just a bit of a dick in season five, oh, but like once I think I think that's completely valid. Yeah, and like I once think, once he and Rory get into a bit more of a groove, I'm I, like he grows on me. Yeah, I think that's really valid criticism. We're gonna see as the season goes on that there are moments where I also find him to be a dick. Yeah. Um, I think in this particular moment, I'm just rooting for Dean to be kicked to the curb so hard. Absolutely. <laughs> so I mean, I'm a little biased right now, but I also think that um. Just like we did with Jess, where we get some backstory, where we start to kind of understand where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. 
um, the writers do a really good job with Lo- Logan's storyline as well um, in seasons five and six in giving us a little bit like peeling the onion, shall we say, you know? And if you even think about it, like not to, you know, prioritize one man over another or say which one is better. We obviously know that Dean falls to the bottom of the totem pole every time. That's n- not negotiable. But yeah. if you think, but if you think about it in like rational storytelling terms, um, like D- Dean was like the least developed boyfriend because like we knew part like obviously, and I think that was all done on purpose because he was just the high school stars hollow boy. But right, you know, we like we never saw his dad. We never. You know, like we like there was a lot of tidbits of of Dean's life that like by season five, like, oh, we're supposed to know. But like, oh, maybe it was mentioned once in season one or two. And like, OK, I'm, I'm supposed to remember that, you know, whereas like they the writers clearly spent more time developing Jess as a character and then Logan as a character. And I find and I find that's really clear in season five when they when, you know, Dean is kind of brought back to prominence. It's like even in season four as well. It's like, you know, small town loser who didn't who picked the wrong thing after high school and that was marriage. So I don't know. To me, it's just, you know, I'm probably biased because we hate Dean around here, but to me, it's just, he's the least, he was the least developed boyfriend of all three. Yeah. I think that's done on purpose too. I agree with you. I think it was done so that we knew it was not going to (laughs) last, you know? Yeah. Uh, Or at least not going to last, or at least wasn't going to have a future, a sustainable future. Especially since, like, we know his last name is Forrester, but anytime someone says Dean Forrester, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Dean's last name. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, like, I find just in Jess and Logan's stories, like, their last names were repeated enough times, it's like, we know that's Jess Mariano, that's Logan Huntsberger. But it's like, Dean Forrester. Okay, he could have been Dean Jones for all I know. <laughs> yeah, it's not a lasting name with a lasting impact. But anyways, um, I think that the looks that Logan gives Rory in this episode mm-hmm. adorable <laughs> swoon he clearly wants her uh-huh no I think he's clearly intrigued I don't know if he wants her yet but I think he's clearly um I don't know I think he's interested definitely and I think you know not to again demoralize roles for women or characters that women often fulfill but i think rory is different from the kind of women that that logan is used to parading around with the same way that zach parades around with a certain kind of girl so i think he's i think he's i think logan is smitten at this you know this meeting of the brigade whatever the hell it is the tent mm-hmm. this campfire i don't know what is it i don't know what the hell this is um (laughs) i think he's smitten because like no other i think no other girl he's been interested in to this point in his life have has probably given this much time of day to like to dedicate to something that's not just him like maybe 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 he had a girlfriend who chased him until he he gave in to her but this is this is rory like showing an interest in what logan's interested in because oh that's a good story but like also she likes him you know it's it's not just like she's chasing after him she's chasing after a story and then she's chasing after him you know what i mean i mean if we're on the subject i would like to of of girls that logan has dated Mm -hmm. i would like to also discuss this very weird way 
that this episode makes me feel <laughs> about about um I don't know if it's a trope, I don't know what to call it really, about this way that sometimes writers will talk about women as being um not like the other girls yeah and that's why i said i don't want to like demoralize roles that women often fulfill like that's kind of out of their control sometimes so yeah but i mean in this case i mean rory is talking to stephanie the blonde girl at one point mm-hmm. and she's looking for information about the life and death brigade for her story clearly you know and she brings up logan and stephanie says you know there's a line to get to him yeah which number one ick <laughs> Like, that was just a weird thing to say all around, I think. Mm-hmm. Or a weird way to phrase that, I should say. Yeah. Um. So already the writers are kind of giving us this indication that he's a guy who sleeps around, I guess, or goes through w- women very quickly. Yeah. So everything you said about him, like, being intrigued by her because she's interested in his, you know, the Life and Death Brigade, she's dedicated to you know, her article, but maybe also kind of likes him a little bit. Like, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But then it also brings up this icky feeling in me of, like, she's not like the other girls I've been with. Yeah, and that's totally a trope, just so you know. Like, that that was and that was a trope employed a lot in the 2000s. And yeah. In the 90s, too, even, like, on, you know, shows like 90210, I was like, I'm not like the other girls. Like, I take my glasses off and I'm cool or whatever the, or like <laughs> whatever the fuck. Like, I'm not like the other girls. I don't um, like a big one that I used to see a lot in the early 2000s was um, a girl not liking girly things necessarily. Yeah. So her being not like the other girls because she likes what society has deemed traditionally masculine things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was insulting to women everywhere. That trope, yeah. because it's like women are complex. They like all kinds of different things. And, you know, your tastes may vary, but women you know, women get to be whoever they want to be. Even uh, so, like I find in the around that in that era too, there was a lot of like tom like young girls who were tomboys and they kind of like and it portrayed like being a tomboy as just that like a phase and so eventually you'll grow into liking girly things. Like right. what if you don't like what if you don't? Like yeah. you could that doesn't necessarily mean you're a lesbian or you're queer because you you never liked boy you like you never liked girl things in that mer- that could have been that you that was your queer awakening <laughs> you know no 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 shade on that but did you eh, you know it's just it was it was yeah it was gross it was icky yeah so I guess I guess my like uncomfortable feeling in this episode is like I'm disappointed that such a feminist show would result to such a ugh, trope. Of, like, Rory's not like the other girls. And we're going to see this again, come up again and again and again in season five um, as Rory and Logan's relationship develops. But, um, so that line to me of, like, there's a line to get to him. And it's, like, it's clear that Rory, yeah, probably thinks he's cute, but she's not thinking about that right now, right? Yeah. Um, Not at this stage, at least. So, you know, it was... I don't know. So then when they when they have their little moment in the woods and he's being very nice to her and he's telling her, like, here are the conditions. And she's like, yeah, OK, I abide by your conditions. It's very clear that she's still there for the story and he just finds her adorable. But and she also kind of finds him cute. But there's nothing. There's no indication at this point that it's more than that. Mm-hmm. 
and I think the that comment kind of spoils it. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Like, the impression that we're trying to give of him spoils it. We're like, yeah. oh, another one of these, I'm not like the other girls. Ugh. Yeah. She never says that. But I'm just, you know, the way they're portraying her. And, but I would argue, maybe you, like, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, I would argue that Rory is kind of, maybe not written that way necessarily, but, like, Rory has been portrayed that way either by the script slash by the network since the beginning like I find like I find Rory's kind of always been like not like the other girls kind of character like not in a snobby overt way necessarily but I find even from the from the pilot episode when Lane says like okay this academic minded and then there's Amish like I find yeah I find that I find that was really deliberate for like really really early on and I think they also kind of went with the whole like not not like the other girls trope when there was a flirtation between her and Tristan. So I find oh, it. I don't, I don't think the first. That's what I was going to bring up. The Tristan storyline, I think, cemented it for us. So I think the writers really very much went that route mm-hmm. of like, we're going to make this smart girl like all kinds of like different quirky things and talk really fast and like coffee and whatever. I think the way the writers have always written men falling in love with her. Mm hmm is meant to give off that aura of she's not like the other girls because we've never really seen Rory um, just be friends with a guy. Right. Um, yeah, pretty much. Oh, unless, think, Mar- unless Marty, but Marty fell for him to fell for her too. <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to talk about Marty later on in the season, but we've never really seen Rory have a guy friend without her, without them inevitably falling head over heels for her. Yeah. So, I don't fault her. I don't fault the character. No. I fault the writers for writing it that way. And yeah, giving... sadly, sadly, I think it was a teen, like it was a teen drama on the WB. Like yeah, they had, they had to go that way. Like they probably had to do it that way. Yeah. Um, to keep us interested, you know. But it is possible for guys and gals to be <laughs> friends and not fall madly in love with each other all the time. Yes, one of them has to be gay. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, um, so let's talk about the the last kind of scene of the show with Logan. Kind of, I don't know if he's goading her, but he wants her to go do the stunt with him, which is f- jump off the scaffold with the umbrella. <laughs> and the thing I liked about this this scene is that I find he read her so well. Yeah. Like, they haven't been acquaintances all that long. Right. But even he knows that she's very sheltered and very safe and can tell that she doesn't take a lot of risks. You know, that conversation where he's trying to convince her to jump, it's just, I find it so well done because he can read her so well. And she is safe, right? It's the reason she went back to Dean. We talked about that. Yeah, and I think that's the the precise dichotomy that the writers were going for in this in this episode, where it's 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 the stark stark contrast between her going back to Dean and like because that was safe and that was what she knew and that wasn't gonna you know that was gonna that was gonna shelter her further from the impending adult world, and then she goes and takes a chance and does this story with this camp are they at a camp i don't know where they are i'm confused <laughs> i don't know where um, they are either the woods a forest a field yeah, a meadow 
I don't know what that was. <laughs> she takes a chance with this brigade in the in the woods, and that's you know, that's, I think that that indicates to us the kind of journalist that Rory aspires to be because she took that chance. And then there's this guy who can clearly read her so much. I'm gonna say better, but who can read her in a way that's different from Dean and the Stars Hollow world that she's accustomed to. So it, it then becomes, like you said, it's part of it, you know, he wants to kind of pull an Aladdin and say, like, I can show you the whole world, just jump on my magic carpet kind of thing. <laughs> that was a stretch, sir. <laughs> but no, but, I get it. I think um yeah, I mean before I said this was the first episode where Rory's really starting to pull back from Dean. Yeah. I think this moment in particular really cemented it in her mind for her. Like, I think mentally she's checked out. For sure. Especially after that jump where she's like, life is so much more than just going back to my star's hollow boyfriend and meeting halfway at the gas station. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, I didn't even mean that like shady. I just meant it as, as in like, she has been really sheltered her entire life. Yeah. You know, she has done the safe things. She even said it, you know, a couple of episodes ago where she was like, I should have been getting an internship or doing, you know, more freelance work during the summer. Instead, I went to Europe with grandma, you know, mm-hmm. I would argue that was a safer option than putting herself out there and trying to get a leg up in her career, you know? Um, yeah. And I think the reason, I think there's a reason why she went and asked her mother after if she was too safe and sheltered. I think it really stuck with her. Um, And I think that also contributes to her liking Logan. The fact that not only did he read her so well and like kind of opened her eyes, but that he can be potentially the one to have all these adventures with because he's clearly grabbing life by the horns. Yeah, I think it has to do it's like a, it's it's it has like a dual purpose. Like she wants to she wants to be a journalist and to be a journalist like in the field that she's aspiring to be like Christiane Amanpour, who's, you know, reports reports in the field. Um, like you have to be you, you can't be sheltered. You have to be you have to be willing to be out there, be in be in the world to, to report on it, you know, and I think I think Logan represents her 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 like. And her not, I guess her impending jump into that world. Like, she knows it's coming. It's like she wants to... And Logan kind of comes to represent that for her. Yeah. I think it was all really well done. Yeah. I think um, the jump at the end is where he also starts to become a little bit more smitten with her. Yeah. Um, Like, oh, wow, she really had the guts to go through with it. Like, I think he, she also earns his respect a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the beginning of something beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for this this new um, relationship of hers. I think it's a relationship that is different from her others. It hasn't tested her very much. Like, like her others haven't tested her very much is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the first real adult relationship she's in. Yeah. Where she's making her own decisions and not at home with her mother and second guessing herself. Pretty much. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of different parts of this relationship um that make it a little bit more fun for me mm-hmm. to watch um and that has nothing to do necessarily with just the guy but more to do with where she's at in her life as well yeah it's 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 a bit more grown up just overall yeah is yeah yeah um anything else you want to say about the life and death brigade 
Um, no, I think I'm good. I only had the one note, which is why the hell do I have to care about the life and death brokades? Jesus. Well, because I, I knew you would have thoughts and you would guide the conversation. I was not worried. Wow. Um, I have one more thing to say about this episode, and I want to get your take on it. Okay. This Hit episode. Me. Yeah, well, this episode has often been quoted as being a homophobic episode. Okay. Do you know what I'm referring to? No. Okay. So, when Lorelai walks into the diner and tells Luke that Emily wants to re-meet him. Uh-huh. Um, and she's, you know, basically saying we have to escape her clutches. We have to move to Canada and change our last names and get facial reconstructive surgery. Right. And get... And get sex changes. Mm-hmm. And then she says, well, both of us so that we can kiss and it wouldn't look funny. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of those times Laura just rambles on, you know, you know that like. It's, yeah, I've never, I never picked up on that before. I, now you say it, I remember her saying I remember her saying it, but it's just like in the moment, you don't think much of it. Yeah, yeah. you don't think much of it because she's just doing what she usually does. And that's talking a mile a minute. Considering in the same breath, she also says, I see dead people. Yeah, exactly. You can't really take her too seriously. But the fact remains that writers actually wrote that, right? So, yeah, that's very 2004 of them. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, it was obviously homophobic in, in, in tone, like to say, to write that into a script. But I think, hmm, I don't know, I think through the lens of Gilmore Girls, it was probably just like, it, it meant, sadly, you know, people of the same sex kissing in public is still kind of, I'm going to say a spectacle, but it still, it stands out more than a straight couple kissing in public. So I think for the purposes of what Lorelai was trying to convey of, let's go, in, let's move to Canada and go in, incognito. Um, if they were to be members of the same sex kissing, that wouldn't be incognito, you know? I don't, so I don't think, I don't think the, the intent was necessarily as homophobic as it came out to write to write that is definitely homophobic but i think the i don't know i think i don't think it was that deep (laughs) yeah i mean i'm the same i don't think it was that deep um i think i don't know i i I question the intent of whoever wrote it Mm -hmm. you know the team of writers and whoever you know whoever made that one stick i don't know i think um but then I think about, you know, the times and it being 2004 and it being... Well, I mean, if you consider, like, where, like, the legalization of same-sex marriage was at in the United States in 2004, it was quite the contested issue. Right. So, but, like, usually, 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 usually Amy and the writers lean very left in any political um, commentary that they'll intersperse in the dialogue, so... I don't know. I I really don't think it was that deep. I think it really I think it was really just to represent like Lorelai saying we have to go incognito and live in Canada. But if we're both members of the same sex kissing in public, like people are going to notice us. Unfortunately, you know. Right. I sometimes take for granted the fact that we live in Canada. Oh yeah. And that, and that you know, same sex marriage at least in Ontario has been legal since two thousand three, and in the entire country has been legal in two thousand five, I believe. Yeah. So. You know, it's not something in Quebec. It was 2004, for example. You know, like I, I, I take for granted sometimes that we're um, we're a little bit more progressive than our neighbors to the south. 
Yeah, especially even for me growing up, like any any debate that I saw over like same sex marriage was like news coverage from the U.S. Like it didn't even yeah. like it was never like it was never a news item that I ever saw in my own country. You know, like, it was never even a thought. I didn't I don't even think I learned until maybe high school or where like maybe high school history class where it was like same sex marriage was legalized in Canada in 2005. Like it was literally just a sentence in a book. Like it was never. Because it, it was, I'm sure, was, I'm, sure it was I'm sure it was a big deal when it happened, but it wasn't as big but deal. <laughs> yeah. I remember it not being a big deal because it was never really contested. Yeah. Um, I guess because there had been discussions in Parliament since like the early '90s about it. Probably. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy to me to think that it took another decade for the U.S. to fall in line, <laughs> but that's just my thought. Even now, the the even now, like the Republican Party is still going after same sex marriage and just gay rights in general. So, honey, they're going after everything. Yeah, and you know, not and not to imply that any like other countries are safe and could not, you know, follow suit and take cues from the U.S. So no one is safe, but you know, the U.S. is is the ones who started it. So you suck. <laughs> Anyways, that's just me wanting to get your thought. Um, anything else for this episode? Um, I think I'm good. We should plug our Patreon once again in case anyone wants to subscribe to the newsletter that you mentioned in case you already haven't. Um, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Gilmore Girls Podcast, which will then, um, subscribe you to our bi-weekly, no, what is it, bi-monthly <laughs> email newsletter, um, that comes out with each new podcast episode um we will also we're also gearing up to perhaps record a bonus episode that will be only for our patrons um so yes we would love for you to consider pledging a monthly amount to support the podcast and gain access to those uh, to that exclusive content otherwise you can follow us on tweeters at gilmore podcast on instagram at gilmore girls podcast and should you feel the need to email us, you can do so, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. And that is all for this week. Yes. We will see you again. When are we seeing them again? <laughs> In two weeks. <laughs> In two weeks. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, it's my first day back from holiday and I'm just all over the place. As you do. As you do. All right, guys. Thanks again. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Jesus. Forgot about that. <laughs> New Year's saying me, because I'm shit. Okay, bye.